This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 76, entitled, What Can We Learn About God and Jesus from Epistolary Greetings? Part 3. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast, if you didn't already know, is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Hopefully our episodes have been spurring you to have conversations with your friends, with your family, with those at your church about God and Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I am your host. We've spent the last two episodes of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, examining the epistolary introductions and greetings of the New Testament letters in order to observe how early Christians described God and Jesus. Our aim was to better understand early Christian views of who God is and who Jesus is based upon how they were portrayed in these introductory greetings. These introductory greetings were, by the way, recognized parts of formal epistolary correspondence in the Greco-Roman world. Having looked at the letters from Romans to James in the previous two episodes, we observed that the regular practice of early Christians was to give grace and peace coming from two distinct persons, from God and from Jesus. When God was used, it was always in reference to the Father, never once in reference to Jesus. It was also quite common for early Christians to describe the relationship between God and Jesus more specifically in these epistolary introductions, marking the Father as the God and Father of Jesus. Jesus was regularly regarded as the risen and exalted Lord, demonstrating his boosted status. It was also noteworthy that the Holy Spirit, often thought in popular Christian circles as being a conscious person alongside the Father and the Son, never once appears in the greetings and never wishes grace and peace to the recipients. In this episode, we will round off the major New Testament letters from 1 Peter going on into the book of Revelation in order to see how they contribute to our study. What can we learn about how early Christians understood God and Jesus based upon their descriptions and introductions of epistolary literature? Let's dig into the text and find out. The first letter we'll look at today is 1 Peter, and I'm going to start off reading the first three verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-3. through 3. We can see here in this 
introduction of Thanksgiving, that blessings are offered to God and Jesus Christ. We can see that in verse 3. God in this passage is described as God and the God and Father of Jesus. Jesus still has a God, according to this passage, and he still has a Father above him, despite the fact that Jesus is the risen and exalted Lord. He still has a God, and God is still Jesus' Father. The opening verse speaks of how these Gentile believers were chosen according to the Father's foreknowledge by the sanctifying work of the Spirit in order to obey Jesus. So we have a passage here to where the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all mentioned. But there's nothing here to suggest that the Spirit, which is described as the sanctifying work of the Spirit, is a conscious separate person from the Father. The Spirit here in 1 Peter 1-2 functions as the Holy Sanctifier, which one would naturally expect from the Holy Spirit. It is interesting that while the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are mentioned in verse 2, the epistolary blessings are only given to God the Father, and that God is the God of Jesus. So there are no blessings given to the Holy Spirit. While the three are mentioned, the introduction actually points to a biblical Unitarian position of the Father as the only true God, namely the God of Jesus Christ. Next passage we'll look at is in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll look in the first two verses. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Now this passage actually presents a dubious and ambiguous depiction of God and Jesus, specifically in verse 1. I'm going to read that section of the passage that we're going to be studying in this particular point of the podcast. That passage in 2 Peter 1, 1 talks about the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. From the standpoint of Greek grammar, it is ambiguous as to whether there are two persons in view here, namely our God and someone distinct, the Savior Jesus Christ, or if it's referring to a single person, Jesus Christ, who is defined as our God and Savior. It has become customary for eager interpreters to look at dubious passages like this and all too quickly conclude that the passage means whatever their personal theology says is correct. Now, I'd like to take an objective approach here, attempting to study it strictly from within the context of 2 Peter itself, to see whether Jesus is God and Savior, or whether the Savior Jesus is distinct from God, in chapter 1 and verse 1. In other words, I want to examine how 2 Peter defines God and Jesus, so that I can better understand the intention, or the likely intention, of the ambiguous reference 
and 1 verse 1. So a good place to start is to look at the other places where the title Savior is used in 2 Peter. Jesus is described as the Savior in chapter 1 and verse 1. Is this title Savior also given to God or also given to the Holy Spirit? Let's look at every place where a Savior is used. It's interesting that the noun Savior appears more frequently in 2 Peter than in any other letter of the New Testament. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11, it talks about the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There it's clearly a reference to Jesus. In chapter 2 and verse 20, it talks about those that have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, Savior there is a title for Jesus. Moving on to chapter 3 and verse 2, it talks about the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Presumably there, the commandments that were spoken by the apostles are the commandments of Jesus. So I think there that Savior is another reference to Jesus. And then in chapter 3 and verse 18, it talks about how readers need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's in 3.18. There again, Savior is linked clearly with Jesus Christ. So out of the four references to the title Savior in 2 Peter, outside of our passage that we're looking at in chapter 1 and verse 1, three of them are clearly linked with Jesus, and one is almost certainly a reference to Jesus. The title Savior is never used with God the Father, nor is it ever used with the Holy Spirit. So from the theology of 2 Peter, the Savior seems to be a Jesus exclusive designation. Next, we can look at other passages where God and Jesus are mentioned together. Is there an unambiguous reference to Jesus being called God in 2 Peter? Here are all the passages in 2 Peter to where God and Jesus are both mentioned. For our study, it's very easy to look at because there are actually only two other passages. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, the verse which immediately follows our passage in question, says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There, clearly, we have two distinct persons. We have God and Jesus our Lord. And the next passage is in chapter 1 and verse 17, which says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, he being Jesus, such an utterance was this that was made by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. There again, we have two distinct persons. We have God the Father and God's beloved son. So, in every other occurrence outside of 2 Peter 1.1, where God and Christ are mentioned, they are distinguished. The reference in chapter 1 and verse 2, which immediately follows the ambiguous verse in question, clearly distinguishes God and Jesus Christ. Jerome Nere in the Anchor Bible Commentary on 2 Peter and Duane Watson in the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary on 2 Peter both argue that there is an intended parallelism between chapter 1 verse 1 and chapter 1 and verse 2. And they both conclude 
that God and Christ were intended to be understood as two distinct persons in 2 Peter 1.1. So in short, 2 Peter probably distinguishes God and Jesus in its reference in chapter 1 and verse 1, while clearly speaking of the knowledge of two persons, God and Christ, in its sending of greetings. And as usual, the Holy Spirit is neither present nor offering any greetings. Let's move on to 2 John here. Some people would naturally think to move on to 1 John, but 1 John doesn't seem to be an epistle. It seems to be a theological document, a theological tract, something like that, but it doesn't look like a letter. It doesn't have an epistolary introduction, and that's the purpose of our study, is to look at the epistolary introductions within the New Testament. So we move from 2 Peter, skipping 1 John, and we move to 2 John. Look at the first three verses, 2 John chapter 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father, in truth and love. 2 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Here in this small epistle, we can see that grace, mercy, and peace are offered from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. That's clear to distinct persons. And the relationship between God and Jesus is further defined in the same verse. We can see there that Jesus is the Son of of the Father, the Son of the Father. This is not a co-equal relationship. Rather, God is the Father of Jesus, and the Father and the Son seem to have their basic familial meanings. They've not been divorced from those meanings. If God is the Father and Jesus is the Son, then Jesus is the Son of that Father, and the Father is the Father of Jesus. Of course, there's no mention or word from the Holy Spirit at all in this introduction. So that's 2 John. Let's move on to 3 John. 3 John is also another interesting exception for our study. If I look at the first verse, it says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And we don't get much of an epistolary introduction in 3 John. In fact, something that's interesting for our study, is that there's no mention at all of Jesus anywhere in 3 John. Neither are there any shorthand titles that are commonly used for Jesus, such as Lord, Christ, Savior, Messiah, Son of God, etc. As far as I can tell, 3 John is the only Christian letter in the New Testament where Jesus is not mentioned at all. I wouldn't make too much out of that, as if it's some sort of non-Christian document. Clearly, it's a Christian document written by the same person who wrote 2 John. God is, however, mentioned four times in 3 John. And the Holy Spirit, like Jesus the Son, is completely absent from the letter, let alone its epistolary greeting. So, from the elder's perspective, the elder being the writer of 3 John, only God was necessary to be mentioned in this Christian document known to us as 3 John. 
That's really all we can say about 3 John. I've got to move on. Moving on to Jude, the epistle of Jude. Let's read the first two verses. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. That's Jude chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. The letter of Jude is directed towards those who are called and loved in God the Father and who are kept for Jesus Christ. In other words, there's a clear distinction between the two persons. And the term God is reserved for the Father alone, just as we have seen in our other letters and is most likely true in 2 Peter. As usual, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned at all in the epistolary introductions of Jude. Finally, we move on to Revelation, the Apocalypse of John. And we're going to read Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Not a lot of people know that Revelation was written as a letter, as an epistle, and it has a very clearly delineated epistolary introduction in chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. As I read this, you'll probably recall it sounds very similar to the other epistles that we have surveyed in these episodes. Let's start here. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits that are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. This is another passage where a minority, but a vocal minority, have argued that the supposed three members of the triune Godhead send greetings. We have in verse 4, the one who is, and who was, and who is to come. This seems to be God the Father. We have Jesus Christ the Son in verse 5. And there is a reference in verse 4 to the seven spirits before the Father's throne. It is sometimes suggested that the number seven should be understood symbolically here in the epistolary introduction to indicate a sevenfold spirit, with seven being the number of fullness and completion. This indicates the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So some people argue that the seven spirits is not actually seven numerical spirits, but the sevenfold fullness or completeness of the spirit, namely the Holy Spirit. But understanding the seven spirits that are before the throne as the Holy Spirit is problematic for a number of reasons. The first reason is that the seven spirits are later clarified in the book of Revelation to be seven angels. Let's look at the clarifying passages. In Revelation 4-5, it says, Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds of peal of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. 
So there again, we have the seven spirits of God there before the throne. And then they are further clarified in chapter 8 and verse 2, where it says, I saw the seven angels who stand before the throne. So we have the seven angels before the throne that are also called the seven spirits that are before the throne. And angels are often called spirits throughout biblical and extra-biblical literature. A second reason why identifying these seven spirits as the Holy Spirit would be problematic is that the number seven, while often used symbolically as a number of fullness and completion in Revelation, I admit that, the number seven can also at times refer to the actual cardinal number seven, like the mentioning of the seven churches that are in Asia Minor, or the seven geographical hills upon which Rome sits in chapter 17 and verse 9. So Revelation, when it wants to, can certainly use the number seven when it wants to count the number that is above six and below eight. If the reference to the seven spirits refers actually to seven angels, then this would be a very interesting development for our epistolary study. Thus far, having looked at the epistles from Romans to Jude, the only persons who ever send greetings were God and Jesus. Having greetings sent by the seven angels would be exceptional, but so too would be any sort of greeting sent from the Holy Spirit, for that matter. But the literary genre of Revelation, being an apocalypse, actually allows for such an expansion in Christian greetings to allow for the angels to contribute. Apocalyptic literature was regularly unveiled from heaven through angelic mediators, as Daniel chapter 7 through 12 repeatedly indicates. This, of course, is confirmed by the opening verse of Revelation itself, which states that the revelation to John was sent and signified by means of a mediating angel. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. Therefore, Revelation is unique within the New Testament epistles as sending greetings from God, Jesus, and seven angels, it seems. The seven angels that are before the throne. Totaling, by the way, nine persons, if anyone is counting. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the letters within the New Testament appeal to the conventional style of Hellenistic epistles common in the first century CE. The introductory greetings and thanksgivings within each of the New Testament letters is a window through which we can observe how early Christians understood God and Christ. And often, we get insights into their relationship to each other. We first noted that the greetings were mostly from two persons, from God and from the risen Jesus Christ. On rare occasions, God alone offered the greetings. And there's even an instance in the book of Revelation where the seven angels before the throne were included in the greetings of grace and peace. Second, the Holy Spirit was never once included alongside the Father and the Son in the giving of thanks. The fact that Revelation is willing to include greetings from the seven angels, but not from the Holy Spirit, 
indicates that the New Testament did not yet contain the elevated doctrine of the personality of the Holy Spirit. Third, we observe that when the epistolary introductions did comment about the relationship between God and Jesus, God was portrayed as being above and ranked higher than the Son. God was the God of Jesus, and Jesus was the Son of the Father. Since the Father was greater than the risen and exalted Jesus, and the Spirit was not a distinct person alongside those two. This suggests that the early Christians writing these various New Testament epistles possessed a Unitarian understanding of God, while regarding Jesus in terms of a high human Christology. Thanks so much for joining us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. If you enjoy what we produce, please consider supporting us with a small donation. You can check out this episode's description and the attached document for a PayPal link. Again, my name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.